And Father, uh, we thank you for uh, this beautiful weather you've given us, uh, but more importantly, that you've given us your word, that we get to open up now, and we get to learn uh, from the from your teachings, from, from this particular parable. I pray that we would um, understand it, uh, that we would know it, and that we'd be able to apply it to our lives uh, and see the great significance it has for us. And we just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to, you can turn to Matthew 20. We're going to be looking at the parable in verses 1 through 16. Um, and as I was studying this, I've been studying it for a little while, I initially read it and thought, well, it's a pretty simple parable, at least to understand. Um, but it's a little bit more difficult to interpret. Um, and if you ever, if you read commentaries on this, um, pretty much every commentary has a different perspective on what they think this parable means. Um, so it became very difficult. I had to spend a lot of time. Um, but I think it's best to think of this uh, when you're looking at this, it's very important to look at the context of what takes place to understand about, understand about it. Uh, we're looking at the reward, uh, the believer's reward, those who believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, that is, what is it and who's going to get what? When you look at this, you have to understand that it takes place right after the account of the rich young ruler. And we should be fairly, uh, fairly familiar with this. I've mentioned it quite a few times. There is, in verse 16, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would... Um, Enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said to him, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what still do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell your, all you possess and give to the poor, uh, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Okay, so we all should be fairly familiar with that story. And then 23 is where we really need to pick up for the uh, point of the parable. It says, And Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay, so we're caught up to where we need to be at this point. The first point we're going to look at is um, it's an excellent reward. That is our, the glorious reward. And so reading on, it says, Then Peter said, in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left his houses, his brothers or his sisters, or father, mother, children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. 
But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, we have to remember for the first point is it's for all the leaders. Peter here is asking what in particular is he going to receive? See, he was looking at the rich young ruler who didn't leave everything and follow Jesus. And look what he says. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And so he was looking at himself saying, look, I have done that. And when you think about disciples, I'm sure they were thinking, well, we're kind of on the ground floor, so to speak, right? They were the first with Jesus. And so he's probably thinking, look, I'm in this place where I'm one of the first disciples. I have left everything and followed you. So what then will I have? This idea of kind of wanting to know what they're going to have or even being um, on the top of the line, so to speak, uh, continues throughout the disciples' career, really. Just a few verses later on in chapter 20, verse 20, we see the account of the mother's request, right? Where um, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, Jesus, with her sons kneeling before him, asked for something, and she he asked, what do you want? And she said, say, these two sons of mine are to sit at the right hand and on your left hand. And so she, again, is wanting to have them be in a prominent place among Jesus' disciples. And then you read in verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Um, not because they thought that was a ridiculous request, probably because they were thinking they got there first. <laughs> Uh, even when they're in the upper room, they have a discussion among themselves about which one of them is going to be the greatest. And so this kind of idea sticks with the disciples and really throughout the whole time. Jesus here tells them, look, verse 29, and everyone who has left, right? Peter says, look, we've left everything. And Jesus says, look, everyone who has left their houses or brothers or sisters, fathers and mothers, children, land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit, inherit eternal life. So everyone who believes in Jesus will receive those things, not just Peter and the disciples. Um, on the side note, it does come with difficulty, right? You have to leave all of those things behind. Um, and it's incomprehensible reward. That is eternal life. We say those kind of things, right? A hundredfold in eternal life. And we think about eternal life, and sometimes we say that rather nonchalantly, or at least sometimes I catch myself doing that. Um, we can't even fathom anything eternal. We understand that God is eternal, but we can't really understand what that means because even in our lifetimes, the most we're probably going to be looking to live is a hundred years, if you go beyond that, you're doing pretty good. And so we can only think at best in a hundred-year time frame, let alone eternity. Um, just think about how great of a reward that is, that you're not just going to have life for a hundred years, two hundred years, five hundred years, a thousand years. You have eternal life. So it's an excellent reward, is the first point. But the second point is it's an equal reward. And that brings us right to the parable uh, that we're looking at today. And before we look at it, I want you to take a look at verse 30. 
In chapter 19, it says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then if you go all the way to verse 16 in chapter 20, it says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. That statement is sandwiching the parable, meaning that what is in the parable is trying to describe to you what it means that the last is going to be first and the first is going to be last. That is what this parable is illustrating. Verses, now let's read. Uh, It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out, uh, we'll stop there for a moment. The first point we're going to see is the agreement was made. And it's pretty great because right in the beginning of this parable, we pretty much have all of the players. We have, first of all, the sphere in which this has taken place for the kingdom of heaven. And so we're looking at the kingdom of heaven. We're looking at, this is talking about um, God's kingdom. We're looking at believers here. It says the master of the house, this master of the house is represented as God. The laborers are the believers who trust in Christ. And the denarius is the reward. And then you have the last thing, which is a day. And the day is the time um, of life. Um, But I also think in a larger scheme of things, it is the time in history as well. That is the time of history of believers. So those are all the players And the story, the parable, is quite simple. Um, There is a master of the house, and he goes out, and he hires workers, laborers for his vineyard. And he does this for a set price. He does it for a denarius a day, for one day. And as you know, we've talked about a few times that a denarius was actually a good wage for someone, a day laborer, Um, a Roman in the army actually got a denarius a day, a salary, and so that was considered a pretty good wage. So if you were just someone who was coming off quite literally from the marketplace, off the streets, and working, you would be a good pay. They would have taken that happily, happily, seeing it as a pretty good wage for the day. And obviously they do, um, because he sent them into the vineyard. So they agree to this. Uh, It says in verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers. And so they say, okay, good. We'll work for a denarius today, and we'll go work in the vineyard. And the vineyards, when you think about the landscape, there's two. One is flat, and it's kind of wheat fields and that kind of thing. And the other one is vineyards, which would have been up on the hill. They would have planted the seeds early spring, summer. They would have pruned them and that kind of thing. And then fall, they would be plucking them. And so when you have to pluck them, there's only a certain amount of time frame you have to do that, so you have to hire extra people to do that. And this is kind of the setting that people would be understanding this as. And so there's a lot of work, um, so he's hiring extra laborers to do the work. So they agree and they get sent to work. Pretty normal. Let's pick up verse 3. And going out about the third hour... He saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. 
Pretty much the same thing happens. There is a big difference, though. Uh, as he's hiring more people, again, this is the third hour. When you read these things, when you read things like third hour, um, sixth hour, ninth hour, it is good practice to try to think about what time frame that would be. And so if you start in the morning, 6 a.m., the third hour would be 9 o'clock is when he's hiring these people. So the third hour, he saw them standing there. They were probably just waiting still to be hired. They were kind of the leftovers, the ones who didn't get chosen. So he goes and he chooses them. The marketplace, again, was the commonplace at that time period where you would go to be hired out. He says, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. He just says, look, whatever is right. And so they're taking, I want to say a gamble, but they must know the master and know that he is a good guy and will pay them what is due. Um, But he doesn't do a set price like he does with the first people. It's an undetermined price yet to be. And so they trust him. And then... Continuing on, it says, and about, uh, so they went out. Going out again about the sixth hour, this would be around 12 o'clock, and the ninth hour, this is going to be at 3 o'clock, he did the same. And so, same thing, he goes to the marketplace, he goes and finds these laborers, basically says, what are you doing? They're idle, and he hires them. Then he does it. And verse 6, and about the 11th hour he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And so he hires them. 11th hour, if you're doing, following me here, would be 5 o'clock. Um, there's only one more hour to work. That's all these guys have to do. Uh, And we know this because in verse 12, the others get worked. And he says, the, um, the ones who started in verse 12, it says, these last worked only one hour. And so for sure, they got hired at five o'clock and they were probably thinking, oh, cool. We'll just get whatever we can get at this point. They had been standing there idle all day. And this is where I disagree with most people. A lot of people will say, oh, they were lazy and they got there late and uh, whatever. Um, They just didn't want to do the work and they're kind of the last of the bunch because they didn't want to work at all. And that doesn't really seem to be what the text is indicating. He says even, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said, because no one has hired us. If anything, they were very... Um, deliberate and waiting and waiting and waiting all the way until the 11th hour to be hired. They just wanted to work and they were willing to wait quite literally all day to get the chance to work. So they weren't lazy or unwilling. They just were never hired, as they said. And at this point, it's very interesting. When you start out the day... You would think, okay, this is the normal relationship between a a master of a house and a hired laborer. Um, But by the time you keep going down and you get to the 11th hour, you start to realize um, that the master, it isn't so much that the master needs the laborers as that the laborers need the master. Uh, It's the other way around. 
They need work to survive. And so the master comes around and he gives them the work. See, the real worker in this story is the master of the house. When you look at it, you take notice, right? Verse 1, the master of that house who went out early in the morning, right? He's the one going out. And he hires them, and he sent them into the vineyards. Verse 3, and going out again about the third hours, he saw them standing there. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever. And then he goes out again, he went out. It's the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And then about the eleventh hour, he went out again and found others. Right? He is the one going and finding these people who need work. And so again, it is not... The master who needs the workers, it is the workers who need the master. And when you look at scripture, this is clear when you're thinking about God being the master. Um, I actually want you to turn to Ephesians. We've looked at it, but I thought it would be interesting to look at because Pastor Bill has gone through it. Um, Briefly, Ephesians 7, 1, 7. (laughs) Galatians 1, 7. And this is something that he's talked on, so I just want to briefly point it out to you, right? Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, right? It's in him, it's through him, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Who does it sound like is doing the work in that picture, right? It is God doing the work to, through his blood um, to the forgiveness of sins, which he lavished, right? He lavishes on us. He makes it known to us. It is his plan. It is his purposes, much like it is the master seeking the workers, So the master seeks the laborers as God seeks the lost. So he's hiring all these people. There was an agreement that was made, um, but also we see the payment is made. Let's read on verses 8 through 13. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Now, do take note that phrase takes place almost in the middle of this, right? That's what started it. That's what's going to end it. And this phrase is here in the middle, too. So we need to pay close attention. Call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one of them received a denarius. Now he specifically tells them, pay them from the last up to the first. And the eleventh hour workers received one denarius. This was, you know, if you were those people, you would be exceedingly happy. You didn't even know what you were going to get. And you go and you get literally a day's wage, a good day's wage for an hour's worth of work. And so, 
then uh, we see the pay anticipated. Now, when they received a denarius, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. And so the people, right, they're looking in the front of the line. They're saying, oh, look, those people received one denarius for one hour's worth of work. Therefore, by the time it gets to me, I should be getting 12 denarius because I worked the whole day. And so they're thinking ahead of time, doing the math. And this is what Peter was doing earlier to try to tie in a little bit, right? See, we have left everything and followed you. Look, we were the first ones there. We have followed you. We have left everything. What then will we have? He's anticipating what's going to be happening as they are looking forward and saying, what is, this is going to be my reward. But, there's a big but, uh, but each of them also received a, Denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And so they grumbled, they literally mumbled, they're frustrated about this, they don't like what happened? They thought they deserved more. Look, we have borne the burden of the day. I, we can actually empathize with these people because we would probably be thinking the same thing, or at least I would be. I was like, can I get a pay raise here? Because I'm the one who worked the longest. I worked in the hottest temperatures there were, uh, and it was the hardest on me. Therefore, I should deserve more. And they literally, that is the problem, because they say, and you have made them equal to us, right? You looked at them, you looked at their work, and you gave them a denarius, and then you looked at our work, and you still gave us a denarius. Therefore, you've made us the same. You've made us equal. And so they're grumbling. They thought they deserved more. And that's because they were thinking of their service in terms of debt and obligation. They were working for their reward. And so when you're thinking about that, perspective matters. Um, When you're working in the kingdom of heaven, that is the sphere in which this parable is supposed to be taking place, how you view it matters, right? They weren't working for the master. They were just looking for that denarius. They just wanted their reward and when they see that they maybe should have gotten more, they complained about what they did get. When we're working in the kingdom of heaven as believers, it matters how we think. We don't want to be these men comparing what we do and do not get. We don't want to be what I call the half-two people when you're thinking a sense of obligation just to do things because we have to do things right we say we have to pray maybe or I have to serve in this capacity or I have to teach in this way or I have to take down the chairs or I have to put up the chairs in the sanctuary to be pointed (laughs) to our church um We don't want to be that have-to person. What we want to be is the get-to man, right? It's not that we have to pray, it's that we get to pray. 
It's not that we uh, have to serve, it's that we get to serve. We don't have to put up the chairs, we get to put up the chairs as (laughs) believers in Christ. A lot of people say, oh, I just have to witness to people. And they kind of see it as a burden. It's not that you have to witness to people. You do. But you also get to witness to people. You get to be the vessel to witness to them. And so we need to change our mindset. If you have that, I have to do these things, we really need to start thinking, you get to do these things as a believer in Jesus Christ. Working for God shouldn't be a burden on our lives. It should be a privilege. So don't think of our work in terms of debt, things we have to do. Think of it as a relationship, like a father to a son or a son to a father, a good relationship, right? A good son shouldn't do things because they have to. They do it because they want to, because they want to please the Father. But when you're looking at this parable, again, the pay was fair. And so they say, hey, look, you've made them equal to us. We've borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So he's just pointing out the obvious, look, 12 hours ago, you said a denarius was good, and you were probably very happy with that denarius. And yet, now you're looking at it and saying, you want more. And so he says, take what belongs to you and go. So he does no wrong. He gives exactly what was due. The problem is they were jealous of those ahead of them, and they thought they deserved more. Which leads us to it's in It's an eternal reward. Again, we've looked at the fact that it's an excellent reward. It's an equal reward, right? They all got a denarius. These men even point out, you have made them equal to us. And then it's an eternal reward. Verse 14 says, Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. God does what he wills with what is his. It made me think of Romans 9.15, right? I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And who are we to say how much or who God gives mercy or compassion to. God does what he wills with what is his. Let us keep that in mind as we remember that. He can give what he wants to whom he wants, when he wants. And God gives the same reward. When you're looking back at it again, the context of this is Peter saying, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus explains, and then in verse 29, and everyone who has left the houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, or mother, or children, or lands, that is, if they've worked and they've come to know me for my name's sake, they will receive a hundredfold and eternal life. It's the same reward for everyone. 
which should be very comforting to everyone here. It literally means that all of you, some of you were maybe saved as you were a child when you were young and you've grown up in the church and you uh, love God and you're still serving him, you will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Some of you might be older and you are just now saved. You also will receive a hundredfold and receive eternal life. That should be a very comforting thing to people. And as the one who was saved younger, you should never look at the older and say, well, what else am I going to get on top of it for the fact that I've served here longer and borne the burden of the day? So regardless of when you were saved, you have that eternal life. And I was thinking about um, comparisons, and now I'm thinking about how much time I have, thinking about comparisons, and I was thinking about Paul, and if you turn... If you were to, you don't have to, 2 Corinthians 11, you would see all the things that Paul goes through. It's a long list, and so we won't even look at it. But he is beaten, he is whipped, he has died multiple times, he is left alone by his own friends. Um, He's constantly in danger, as he says. And he goes through a lot for quite a long period of time, and in the end, he's martyred for his faith. And let's juxtapose that with Luke 23. I do want you to turn there. Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, This is Jesus on the cross. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we um, are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he has said, Jesus, remember me. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say today, say to you, say you will be with me in paradise. Both Paul and the thief received a hundredfold and eternal life. And both of them died, lived radically different lives, and died in different circumstances. Now, the difficulty with this passage uh, came in the fact of rewards, the other rewards. I was thinking about passages like 1 Corinthians 3.11. Mark it down and study it later. Uh, It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire and will be tested what sort of work each has done. If that work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Verse Chapter 4, verse 5 also says something similar. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring light on things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purpose of his heart. Then each one will receive a commendation from God. And so there's this idea of building, um, which is good, gold, silver, bronze, and then hay, wood, fire, and which will be burned, and whatever is left you will get a reward for seems to imply that we will get rewards. 
Um, but I kind of had to think about that uh, in terms of Revelation 4. And so this is going to be one of the last places. It'll be the last place to take you today. Revelation 4. And I was thinking about those rewards and seeing how it kind of ties in with the fact that the parable seems to imply that everyone gets the same reward, eternal life. And I kind of think those rewards will be much like the crowns of the 24 elders. Read in verse chapter 4, verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Anything we do in this life is only through the power of God. And I think when we're there, we will acknowledge that fact and we will cast all things to him who is truly worthy of honor and praise and glory. And so as I was thinking about heaven, I was thinking God's fellowship is the reward. And you just have to think, or I was thinking, what's good about heaven? Now, let me finish that before I... Don't stone me just yet. But I was thinking, what's good about heaven? Because in the American culture, we have this view, I think, sometimes that gets put on our head. And we maybe think streets of gold, a cloud, a nice pearly gate, uh, which also, you know, maybe has uh, references to scripture. We think streets of gold, endless food, maybe. When I was a kid, I always thought, man, am I going to have powers when I get to heaven? Will I be able to fly, disappear, or like shoot fire out of my eyes or whatever? I don't know. Maybe I still have those thoughts. But will we have bigger rooms? Um, all these different things. I was thinking, you know, what's heaven going to be like? Or, you know, what's good about heaven? And obviously, the answer should be being with God is the good thing about heaven. That is the reward. When you stand before the eternal, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, unchangeable God, you will be so immersed by His holiness You will say, as it does in Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. At that point in time, you're not going to be thinking, this is great being with God, but I wish I worked enough to eat a donut. Or I wish my room was bigger. I wonder where I'm going to sleep. Or is that real gold? You're going to be thinking, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is the reward. There is nothing better than being with God for eternity. And there is nothing that will make being with God in eternity better. So as you work, work as unto the Lord. And as Colossians tells us in chapter 3, verse 23, you will receive an inheritance right that is the reward that's why i called it the glorious reward because our reward is being with the father for eternity so the conclusion is it's an excellent reward it's an equal reward because we all will be there in the presence of the father and it's eternal we will be with god forever and ever amen Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, this parable that you've given us. Uh, I pray that we understood, that we understand the 
beauty of being with you eternally. Uh, it's hard for us to imagine anything, uh, you being eternal and living with you eternally, but I pray as we go out today that would inspire us to uh, not just keep that for ourselves, that we would go into the world and preach the good news that anyone who believes in you will receive a hundredfold and will receive eternal life and be with you forever. We thank you and praise you for this parable. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.